Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm Clayton Fletcher, your host here in New York City, and today I have a special guest. Many of you have been clamoring for me to get uh, someone who knows about poker players' taxes on the podcast, so I have listened to your your calls for this, and I have gotten uh, someone that is more than qualified Uh, He's the senior manager at Baker Tilly, an accounting firm, uh, a full-service accounting and advisory firm here in New York. And he also writes, I don't even know how many articles uh, for various publications and websites all about poker players and taxes. He also has a website of his own, TaxDude, that's D-O-O-D dot com. Please welcome to the podcast for the first time, Brad Polizano. Did I say it right? Yes, Clayton. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, everybody wants to know, you know, it's it's probably, now that it's January, it's probably the calm before the storm uh, in your line of work as most people, like, start to receive their W-2s and 1099s and whatever other numbers you put on tax forms uh, this time of year. And then things probably get really hectic for you in the coming months. Is that about right? It's it's already hectic. I think oh, 20, 2019 is it presents a interesting year for taxes at, at this moment for for two reasons. Number one, we have the new uh, the new tax law, Tax mm-hmm. Cuts and Jobs Act, which went into effect for 2018. So this is our first filing season that implements the new law. And secondly, the IRS is largely closed as we speak. Yeah. Um, now the IRS has come out and said that they will begin accepting tax returns, uh, as of January 28th, but how many folks will be there to process those returns and issue (laughs) refunds remains to be seen and when. So there's, it's, it's, it's very interesting times right now. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, so tell us a little bit about this new, um, tax law. Obviously most of our listeners probably don't follow, uh, you know, laws that, that Congress passes and stuff as closely as you guys do. Yeah, and, and I'll maybe just hit upon a couple of the highlights as far as they could affect uh, poker players in the United States. Um, so for amateur players, and we'll talk about the professional versus amateur uh, uh, difference for tax purposes, but for amateur poker players, this could be a bad thing in that the standard deduction uh, was essentially doubled to 12,000 for uh, you know single filers, 24,000 for married filing joint. It was about half of that previously. And and gambling losses are uh, itemized deductions, which a taxpayer would either claim itemized deductions or the standard deduction on their tax return. But now because the standard deduction was increased. If they had gambling losses that are less than the standard amount, they're essentially not getting any economic benefit from having those losses. Right. So, so that could, yeah, there's yeah, one that could impact. be a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's a, a bunch of different things that could affect poker players depending on their particular situation. So I, I should add the the caveat that it. How the, ta- the new tax law impacts a particular person depends on their facts and circumstances because each person's different. But one thing, you know, for, for professionals, uh, they, they, you know, if they're looking to, to take, you know, um, 
business expenses against their their poker playing income. The the rules were uh, changed as far as deducting meals and entertainment expenses. So entertainment expenses are generally now not deductible at all. Wow, so, so that's a huge change. Huge change. There are exceptions, but if you just think about, you know, um, entertaining a business contact at a club, um, you know, the, 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 the cost, unless, unless you could separately itemize the food amount, which is and it's reasonable amount, generally not deductible at all. It used to be 50%, but the code, wow. they, they changed the code to eliminate that. Meals are generally still 50% deductible. They can't be lavish, though. So, you know, if you're if you're going to a, you know, three Michelin star restaurant, that's, you know, um, beyond what would be an ordinary meal, then that that may not that may not be deductible. Also, you have to be mindful of that. One thing that could be beneficial again for uh, this is for professionals. There's a new 20 percent deduction uh, for sole proprietors and and you know partnerships and and pass-through entities but for in the poker playing world for those who are professionals they could be eligible for a 20% deduction on their business income which you know there's a lot of uh, limitations and caveats to it which we're not going to go into but generally speaking if the taxpayers uh, below a certain income threshold then they may be eligible for that so that that's that's a that's a win for for uh, pros wow so a lot of changes and you know, one thing we should probably say right here up front is uh, obviously every person's individual situation is unique and you should consult your own uh, tax advisor before you make any decisions about how you file your taxes. Don't just say, well, I listened to a podcast and <laughs> so now I'm an expert. Uh, we're going to be, I probably would say, barely scratching the surface today, uh, but I wanted to get some information out there for those who are uh, a little bit confused. You know, the tax code is only, what, 9,000 pages, so I don't know why people are confused, but for some reason they are. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about the difference between an amateur and a professional. If I'm a poker player, how do I know whether I should be filing as an amateur or a professional? It's not black and white per se, but you could think about some, you know, ask yourself a practical question. Do I... Uh, do I pay for my rent and living expenses, and do I survive off of my poker playing? Um, you know, am I? Because the, the the threshold question is whether the individual is playing with an intent to profit from the activity. Now, there's a bunch of factors, and we're not going to go into those, but you know, that's the that's the real key question. You know, to distinguish it from whether it's a hobby. Um, you know, obviously the amount of time that's that's spent. Uh, playing and the you know the steps taken to improve their play, um, so on and so forth. But really, are they t are they treating it like a full time job? Is is really the you know the the the, the question to ask? Okay. One, one could have other income and still be a professional, but are, are they treating it like a full time you know job? Right. Like I I file as a professional poker player, although I'm also a professional comedian. Um, it kind of depends year to year over which one makes me more uh, money. <laughs> but, yeah, obviously because it's something that I take seriously. But it's interesting to me that there's no there's no set in stone standard. Like if you play X number of hours or if you have this much in winnings, 
There's nothing like that that says, okay, so this is a pro and this is an amateur. Correct. Um, and in fact, there's, there's a there's a case from the mid '80s that kind of laid out the, the the standard for this, from, and mm-hmm. went and went to the Supreme Court, the highest court in the United States, and it was a it was about a uh, uh, a taxpayer who was betting on uh, dog races, and in fact, the year that he was under examination, he had a net loss from his his betting. But nevertheless, the court said it doesn't you could still be in a loss position and it still be your your trader business that you're engaged in to earn a profit. You don't actually have to earn a profit to be a professional, but it's the actions that you take to try to earn a profit that that really shines through. Now, if you have, you know, 10 consecutive years of of losses, well, that's a sign that maybe you're not trying to change your, you know, your your strategy or otherwise to to earn a profit but you know but to your point of there there doesn't have to be like an income threshold right they must hit right so yeah that's interesting uh do the dogs have to pay taxes because they're professional (laughs) (laughs) all right so so first question you have to ask yourself is do i want to file as an amateur or a professional and again that's going to be on a case-by-case basis, and it's up to uh, the individual to decide whether he or she meets those um, not exactly crystal clear requirements. So we're already into some muddy waters, I think. Uh, What are the advantages to filing as an amateur, if any? Well, an amateur doesn't pay what's called self-employment tax on their winnings. so what's self-employment tax? It's it's the it's the uh, equivalent of Social Security and Medicare taxes if you're an employee and you and you get a W-2. Uh, professional poker players have to pay that tax when they file, which is, um, you know, n- not an insignificant amount. It's it's 12.4 percent combined, but they they can deduct half of it. But nonetheless, it's a, it's an it's an additional tax. That, that, now, of course, you're paying into the Social Security system and you get credit for that, but it, you know, that is one potential benefit from being an amateur. Um, that being said, it may, it, but I say potential benefit, it may not, it may not work out in the end, numbers-wise, because it depends on how the amateurs' uh, winnings and losses are in amount. Um, and so, what I should talk about for a little bit here is how poker winnings and losses or gambling winnings and losses in general are uh, are calculated and reported on a tax return. So generally speaking, uh, they, the, the, the tax law requires the uh, a, a, a poker player's winnings and losses to be tracked on what's called a, a per session basis. So what that means is essentially time a poker player has a, a poker playing session, and we'll get into what that means in a minute, they, they'll have either a, you know, they'll either be overall up or down from that session. That that amount, let's say it's it's a, they're in a positive uh, place, that gets put into the winnings bucket. But if they're in a, but if they're down, that goes into the losing bucket. And then at the end of the year, you total up all the winning sessions and separately total all the losing sessions. The winning sessions go on what's called um, uh, well I don't I don't know if the line number has changed on the new tax return I have to check that but it's basically called other income 
on the 1040, and then their losing sessions get reported on the itemized deduction form or Schedule A. So they get separated on the return. And the thing is that you're basically inflating your income amount on your tax return by only having your winning sessions. And it can affect the, 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 how you can deduct other, other items like medical expenses. Um, so it, it can, in a sense, artificially inflate the income on page one of the return because it only includes the, the, the winning instances. Now, you can deduct the losses, but only to the extent of winnings. And again, like I said, the standard deduction is double to twelve thousand. So if your losses are only four thousand dollars, you may you're you're not really getting any economic benefit from those losses at all because you the standard deduction is greater than that. Um, I mean, the long story short is there's no you can't say being a professional is better for taxes than being an amateur, definitively. Right, because they're just different rules for one or the other. Right, and depends on how the numbers shake out for that particular taxpayer. Sure. Okay. So, but yeah, it's starting to become a little clearer, uh, at least for me. I hope for I hope for our listeners as well. You know, this stuff gives a lot of people a lot of headaches because it's just it's a little bit complicated, and as we've already seen, there's usually not one correct answer to any question. Uh, so, generally speaking, if you have a large win in poker, suppose you play in a poker tournament. And you win, I believe it's more than $5,000. Most casinos will give you tax forms on the spot. Um, Correct. My, I think it's 5000 seems to be yep. the, the threshold. Right. So if I win more than, you know, say I get seventh place in a tournament and the prize is $9,000, I'm going to get a, uh, a W2G. Does that sound right? Correct. So I'll get a W2G from the casino. And it will have my profit in that tournament, which is the prize minus the buy-in and entry fee. Correct. Uh, so now, if I collect a number of these throughout the year, then I have to put them all in the income, in the other income section of my taxes. And then, depending on whether or not I filed as a professional or an amateur, I can then deduct the uh, any losses that I had in other tournaments I may have played. So in that case, each tournament would be considered a session for tax purposes, right? Yes, um, but let me go back to one other point you said about putting the all the tournament wins into other income. You would only do that if you're an amateur. If you're a okay. professional, you attach what's called Schedule C to your tax return, and you report all your winnings and losses on that Schedule C, not Schedule as other C. income. Okay, yeah. good. And then the, right. the Schedule C captures... You know, you know, all the the income and losses from poker playing, plus any uh, deductible trader business expenses. The resulting amount is then, you know, flows back to page one of the tax return. Uh, but that is also subject to the self-employment tax. So it's income tax and self-employment tax for professionals. Sure. Okay. Got it. So now one question uh, a lot of people had that one they wanted to make sure that I asked you about. Um, nowadays, many players, especially when they're heading to a big event such as the World Series of Poker or the Aussie Millions or any other huge poker festival around the world, they will uh, they will ask for backers. So maybe some of their friends will say, okay, I'll give you X amount of dollars for 5% of your winnings or this amount for 10% of your winnings. How should we handle that in the event that we win? 
or lose for that matter. Well, it it's key to document the agreement. And I know that a lot of things in the poker playing world is done on a handshake, um, but that's not what a taxpayer wants to rely on if they're under audit by the IRS. Uh, because, you know, think of it this way. Let's say um, let's say you let's say I'm backing you in the World Series of Poker uh, for, you know, um, half of the entry fee. Oh, well, let's just say let's say it's, I'm gen- I feel I'm feeling I'm feeling generous and I'm thinking you're going to you're going to have a have a deep run and I'll, I'll back the full ten ten thousand dollars. OK, and we share whatever the. Uh, 50-50, whatever you win, and if and if you lose, then um then I'm I'm out the 10 grand, right? You following me so far? Sure. All right. So let's say you place and win a hundred thousand dollars net of the buy-in, to keep the numbers simple. So I I get 50 grand in profit and you get 50 grand in profit, right? I get my 10 thousand dollars back. And so it's, uh, say it's 110,000 of winnings, I get the 10,000 back, then we split 50-50 the, the, the profit. The casino is going to issue you, Clayton, a tax form, a W-2G, for the full $100,000 yeah, under your Social Security number. And the IRS is going to get that form that shows $100,000 of winnings to you, even though in reality you only had $50,000 of profit. Right? Oh, yeah. Following me? So far. Okay. So there is a form that some casinos recognize that if if provided to the casino before they issue the W2G, uh, you could give to them and say, look, this was actually a, a backing arrangement. Can you issue two W2Gs, 50 grand each to, you know, one to me and, and you know, uh, Clayton and one to Brad, my backer. But not all casinos will agree to do that because uh, if they do then it's fine right you have the w2g for the proper amount and you just pick up the 50 grand on your returns and the irs thinks that you had 50 grand but what if not now now you're in a position of having to essentially uh deduct on you know clayton on your return you have to still pick up the hundred thousand but then have a deduction of fifty thousand for the amount that you paid to me for my cut right and you'd have to issue me a 1099 because that's income that you're paying to me. Um, and I mention all this because of going back to the point of documenting. So let's say the IRS decides to audit you and says, okay, how do you, uh, we want you to prove that this expense is legitimate, the 50000 that you paid to me. If you don't have a, a, a document that substantiates the agreement between between us, they might say, you know what, we don't we don't think you actually had an agreement, and all the hundred thousand dollars is taxable to you. You have to pay tax on that full amount. And so I would be on the hook for the full amount if I can't prove that you were actually my backer. Right. Deductions are the burden of proof for deductions are on the taxpayer to substantiate. Okay. Right. And now, what to, could that? Sorry, Brad. What could that proof consist of? Would it be okay if you and I had just had a an email exchange that I could, you know? Bring up the emails and say, look, here's an email where Brad says he's going to give me ten thousand for half the winnings. Or do I need something with the, your signature? Or how? What is the standard there? Well, there's never been a case on a back, you know, on a staking agreement that's that's gone to court, as far as I know, or okay. sufficient substantiation. <laughs> you know, one day that that could change. But 
you know, obviously the if, if it's signed and dated, it's better, and it's like a you know it's an actual document. Sure. Um, would an email suffice? Maybe, but I I wouldn't I wouldn't want any of my clients to take that chance. Right. Because it's just too much money on the line to it's just you know the added step of you know even if they have to pay an advisor or someone just you know to to spend an hour or two it's not like we're talking about a complicated arrangement here uh, mm -hmm. to just put it in writing and have the parties. You know, you could even do e-sign. They have that, you know, function nowadays, so you don't have to have people physically signing it. That, you know, the 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 more authentic it looks, the better. And I just, you know, an agreement just clearly states the terms. But look, I, I realize an email. You know, somebody might say, well, an email makes it clear. Okay, um, but somebody has to respond to that email and say, yes, I agree. And now you have. You know, two, it, it's it's like two elements of two separate pieces of communication, whereas for an agreement, it's all contained in a single document. Right, right. Now, can I just lift the clip from you a minute ago telling me you'll give me $10,000 for 50% <laughs> and send that to the IRS? Do you think they'd accept that? Just kidding. Well, God, I'm not we could try. <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, all right. Well, no, this is super helpful. Now, when... When I've when I've paid off my backers and and issued them their ten ninety nines, does that go as non employee compensation or is that wages, salaries, and tips or how does that work with those ten ninety nine forms, which the, themselves are kind of hard to fill out? Yeah, um, non employee compensation would be the appropriate box for a, a ten ninety nine. I think someone could make a case that. It, it, Instead of issuing a 1099, they could issue a W2G alternatively and put, you know, 50,000 of of you know winnings for from the from the poker tournament. Um, to me, like whether it's one or the other, I don't think the service is going to care as much because the bottom line is they just want the income being appropriately allocated to who earned it. Um, but if yeah, I mean if you're if it's a 1099, then yeah, non-employee compensation. Great. I told you guys, Brad knows his stuff. Now, Brad, how did you get involved with uh, poker players' taxes? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, uh, I am good friends with Jay Rosencrantz. Oh yeah, Krantz. Name rings we know a bell. Krantz. Yeah, everybody knows Krantz. He's he's very uh, well known in the poker world for sure. So so he and I go back to sixth grade. We're from the same hometown, and we—I'll uh, never forget—we uh, we started playing Texas Hold'em around that time. We would go to Nathan's, uh, sure. local Nathan's that had an arcade. We'd you know nerd out there, and then we'd go to a friend's house and play Hold'em. Um, <laughs> so we're talking. This was you know late mid to late nineties is when wow. we were doing this, and. Um, yeah, so he and I have stayed in close touch since. And when when I uh, uh, when when I was coming out of school, he was he was involved with Deuces Cracked at the time. And uh, you know, he's like, you know, he, and, and I was getting involved in tax. And he's like, you know, you should you should uh, you should get involved in this space. The the you know, there's a lot of poker players who you know they they some of them start making a lot of money for the first time, and they don't know the first thing to do about their taxes. So. Yeah, now here we are 10 years later. Right. Now, when you would play in those uh, home games after the video arcade with Krantz and the guys, uh, would you claim your winnings on your taxes back then? 
<laughs> well, in case the IRS is listening, I should probably uh, <laughs> plead plead the Fifth Amendment. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there, is there actually no? Suppose a player wins um, two hundred dollars in the whole year. So if I add up all my sessions and subtract, you know, the the losses from the winnings, and it comes out to some nominal amount, like say two hundred dollars. Does that player actually have to file taxes on on those winnings? Uh, that's when you say you subtract. So two hundred dollars is the net result. Yeah, say say it's a net result of two hundred in the positive. Uh, for amateurs, it depends because if if they have because the threshold isn't based on the loss amount; it's based on the pure winnings number. Right. Um, if if it's I, I don't know the exact amount of what the threshold is to report and file, but it's not a lot of money. So if, if, if the winning sessions are even just five, five thousand dollars that that could be enough to trigger a filing requirement, even if their losses are forty eight hundred and then the, the net would result in two hundred. Sure. And in many cases, probably most players, their losses will outweigh their winnings. Uh, that's just the nature of poker. Most players do end up losing. Uh, but if you have a number of these tax forms, uh, you know that have that have been given to you these W2Gs. Say you have twenty thousand dollars worth of W2Gs for all of the tournaments where you cashed, but then you actually played uh, over thirty thousand in buy-ins. You can't deduct negative ten thousand. You can only deduct up to the amount that that you won. Correct? That's right. Yeah, gambling losses are. I say gambling losses because that's how they're defined in the code and sure. the internal revenue code, and they're all, you know, all, you know, all types of, uh, even though some say poker isn't gambling, but I, I get it. The IRS doesn't doesn't distinguish between poker or blackjack or slots or whatever. Anyway, all they say wagering transactions are deductible only to the ex- uh, losses from wagering transactions are deductible only to the extent of of gains from wagering transactions. So right, which is not correct. true in other types of business. Like if I own a restaurant and it loses money, I may actually be able to deduct the losses. Right, and and there was a court case in uh, twenty. I don't know. It was about. I, I don't remember the year, but maybe twenty ten or eleven. Um, that that held that poker players who were professionals could, in fact, if they had like. You know, travel expenses, meal and entertainment expenses, et cetera, and that produced a loss. They could deduct that loss against other in- and claim that loss and deduct it against other income potentially. But then the new tax law, so I had mentioned this about the new tax law, closed that um, opportunity. So even professionals can't claim an overall business loss from. Professional poker players, that is, can't claim an overall business loss from their poker playing. Interesting. Well, it's really good stuff. I don't want to keep you uh, too much longer, Brad, but could you just maybe share with us one or two uh, mistakes that you've seen poker players make as it pertains to taxes? Like, what, what are the big mistakes we should try to avoid when filing our taxes so as to not attract an audit or any other trouble from the service? Um. So one is being mindful of paying estimated taxes. So, you know, for for taxpayers in the United States, they're tip, the, when a taxpayer is issued a W-2G, even if they are, uh, taxes are not withheld from the, the, uh, the winnings. So 
you know, it's it's not like you're a W two employee where your employer withholds the taxes and then you file your return and you have a lot of you know federal income tax withholding. The the so I think what what some poker players don't anticipate early on is that they'll they'll end up file they'll be file, looking to file their return in April of the following year, but they didn't pay any taxes in during the year and their and their bankroll is didn't account for that. And they're strapped for cash to pay their tax bill when they have to file because they didn't pay any throughout the year. Right. So, you know, managing bankroll or basically the, the, the point would be to set aside, you know, to be conservative. Depends on what state you live in, of course, for state income tax. But, you know, 35, potentially 40 percent of the of the winnings and, you know, put it aside. To, to pay, you could pay quarterly estimated taxes. It might be required to pay quarterly estimated taxes based on the prior year activity, um, so that when you when you file, you're not you're not um, you know trying to trying to pay the the IRS on time. Right. So that's that's one that's one big one. Another is just keeping good records of the poker playing activity. So you know, um, you know, you, you, some casinos could give a win loss statement, but they're not really tracking how much you're winning or losing at a live table, you know, for at at, at uh, brick and mortar casinos. And so it's difficult to prove losses without any kind of record substantiating it. Now, what the IRS says is to maintain a uh, a diary of each session, where you played, what uh, what game you played. It actually says to to list who you played with, which is interesting. <laughs> um, uh, you're going to go around uh, asking each person who they are, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. names and socials, but and 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 whether you won or lost. But maintaining a diary, it may sound crazy, but this is what the IRS looks for, you know, because substantiating losses could otherwise be challenging. So they're looking for contemporaneous records. Um, that's that's another big one. Now in the in the online space, now we have you know a handful of states that that uh, have online poker. The records could be obtained from the casinos i i would still caution poker players from fully relying on the accuracy of those as far as like a year-end situation um and i would still suggest trying to keep track as best as possible on an ongoing basis they're they're winning and losing sessions wow okay great yeah so let that be some key takeaways guys uh if you are winning try to make sure that you keep set aside a certain amount of money for your estimated tax bill so that you're not stuck uh, at the end of the year without money to pay your taxes. As you know, poker can go up and down. And also, while you're playing, keep very accurate records. A diary is what the IRS would like you to keep of uh, a detailed account of all of your sessions so that in the event that anything you file ends up being questioned, uh, you will have uh, really clear documentation of what game you played and where, and even as best you can against whom. I mean, mine would say like guy in sunglasses, uh, old Asian lady with jewelry on. <laughs> I don't know anybody's <laughs> names, <laughs> but it, it, maybe even that would be better than nothing just to prove that I'm not, uh, you know, just throwing out random numbers and, and making it all up. Well, one well, other thing I want to mention is, you know, it doesn't matter if you get a W2G or not. When, you know, every dollar of, of uh, poker winnings is taxable and reportable. So it's a W2G is just a threshold for when the casino is required to issue the form. That 
that doesn't mean that if it, if uh, you don't get a W2G that it's not taxable. If you win $3,000 in a tournament, that's still income. Sure. Even if you didn't get the W2G, it's still yep. uh, income and, and it should be reported. All right. Great. Well, these are really great tips. And Brad, I really appreciate your uh, taking the time to uh, talk with us today and hopefully shed some light on some uh, you know complicated questions that poker players who are not necessarily known for being diligent about these things. Hopefully you can help uh, get some of us uh, pointed in the right direction. Now, again, everybody, please do consult your tax advisor before you make any decisions about how you file. Uh, You've listened to one podcast and this doesn't make you an expert any more than it made me an expert, but it did help us uh, get some information. Now, Brad, if you uh, if, if we have any listeners who are looking for a tax expert, uh, can we give them your information or is there somewhere they can go for, for further help? I'll, I'll give my email address. I'm always happy to, to chat informally. Um, Brad.Polizano, P-O-L-I-Z-Z-A-N-O, at Baker Tilly, T-I-L-L-Y, dot com. There you go. Brad Polizano at BakerTilly.com. And also, Brad, you have your Twitter, Tax Dude, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm there. And it's D O O D. Is there a dot in the middle? I feel like there's a dot in the middle. Am there, I wrong? There is not. No, at Tax Dude. Okay, so it's at Tax Dude, T A X D O O D. So follow Brad on Twitter. Send him an email with your questions. Um, Brad Polizano, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Clayton. So there you have it, guys. Uh, I thought it was a very interesting interview with Brad. He gave us some information that we might not otherwise have uh, been privy to. I wanted to get this out soon because I know many of you will be working on your taxes uh, in the coming weeks. Get those 1099s out as soon as possible. If you haven't already, they are actually supposed to be postmarked by January 31st. Uh, So uh, no strategy this week, guys. I'm sorry. We will uh, make it up to you with a future episode that will be doubly jam-packed with strategy content. Uh, Let me know what you thought about our little Poker Players Tax intro with Brad Polizano. Definitely follow him on Twitter at TaxDude. You guys can tweet me at ClaytonComic. Also wanted to let you know we do have some very exciting episodes coming up uh, in the coming weeks with many of your old favorites, the TPE pros who have been uh, so missed in the last month or so when I've been doing lots of traveling. Uh, So we're going to get back to basics with some of the familiar voices from the early days of the TPE podcast. Guys, if you like what I'm doing and you like what we're doing here at TPE, uh, please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean or wherever else you find your podcasts. It may seem silly, but it is something that really helps uh, help us climb the ranks in terms of the top-rated poker podcasts uh, in the world. We want to be number one, and that's the goal. Obviously, the competition is very tough, but the more uh, positive feedback we get on those various platforms, uh, the better our chances of being one of the first podcasts that people find when they search for poker. 
feel free to leave negative comments if you if you have negative opinions. I mean, we are certainly trying, but I know you can't please everyone all the time. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.